This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, it's been a skin show, 105.3 The Fan. If anybody sees our IT guy, have him reset the router for us. Appreciate that. It's me, Jim. Hey, uh, we are in studio today. Tomorrow, we're going to be at Pluckers in Addison, and we'd love for you to join us and come have lunch with us. That's going to be a lot of fun, and then... Friday, we're going to be out on Boat Club Road. Where are we going to be? Eagle's Nest. The Eagle's, Eagle's Nest. Nest. How about that? So come join us in Fort Worth on Friday or in Hell, Addison. I want a bigger boat. Oh, very nice. Bigger Boat Club Road. Uh, Jerry Jones today at the uh, the stock exchange, and he got to ring the bell. Do we actually have the audio from that? Uh, yeah. We have, yeah, two clips from CNBC that we have. We can, we can get to some of that here momentarily, Jerry Jones on CNBC. We're going to talk about the Dak contract. Now that the Zeke contract is done, the Cowboys can turn their attention to Dak Prescott. And with the Jared Goff deal, I don't, I don't know how that impacts things. Jared Goff signs a uh, four-year deal, $134 million, um, $33.5 per year, $110 million of that guaranteed. How do you guys think that impacts Dak Prescott's deal? Well, to me, Ben, it just kind of comes down to what CAA is doing, right? Because CAA is going to be like, that's cool, good for you. Dak's played one extra full year than you have and has won at the at a great level. So that doesn't really impact us too much. I'll ask you guys this. If that's the deal that Dak Prescott signed right now, would everybody be okay with that? I think you know, I think you still have probably half the fan base not happy with that. I'm talking about us, though. I think based on what we're hearing, knowing that CAA was asking for over 40 a year, I think I'd be okay with that. I mean, hell, it's it's about winning in this window. Yeah. And it'd be for four years. I mean, so help me out here. With golf, mm-hmm. what years are we talking about here? This is starting next year? This is... So yeah, because he's the total on it get up to like 161 million. So this is an extension. So how um, many more years are left? Did they pick up one year or so, did they pick up two years? So and he was also keep in mind he was a first round pick. So he has that extra fifth year just like Zeke would have fifth for example year option next year. Yeah. Okay, right. so he's just like Zeke. So this is a yeah. six year deal, from uh, including this year. Yeah, which I guess the, to me the the main thing it said about the DAC deal is it gave you a clear spot because we could have all debates all the time. We've heard Sean and RJ talk about this all the time, and Sean doesn't think he's in that thirty area. To me, it solidifies where DAC should be. The Wentz deal was one hundred seven million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. The Golf deal is one hundred ten million guaranteed. Right around there. Right. So figure it out. Whatever the number is, the average per per year is thirty two for Wentz. It's thirty three and a half for Golf. Figure it out. That's where Dak is. But like it's just like no one can even argue that anymore. Because once you got those two guys in there, and Dak's numbers and many metrics are better than theirs, including games played, that's a good, that's kind of where you step in and go, "What am I arguing about?" That is the clear spot, and I think that's where the Cowboys could probably take advantage of getting him underneath Russell. But it depends what CAA wants to do. I don't think he's better than either of those quarterbacks, but I don't think you can make the case that they just stomp him. 
and that he's nowhere near them. I think that's fair. But Definitely I, fair. But I think uh, that when Dak hired CAA, the Scott Boros of NFL contracts, he basically was going, hey, man, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to squeeze every penny I can out of the organization, and good for him because no player should do a team-friendly deal. It works for us as fans, and it works for the owners who created the salary cap, but how is that fair? I mean, yesterday when Lyle Collins gets his deal done, first thing I start hearing and seeing on social media is people talking, great, you can cut uh, Tyron Smith now. What? Just a couple years ago, you're talking about what a team-friendly deal he signed. Wow, that's incredible. He wants to be a cowboy. He gave them a break. Are you kidding me? So Dak should get every penny. I get it. Um, I get it from the player's perspective. Now, if I was Dak, I think I would say, all right, I don't want to take all this payroll. Because we need to have a supporting cast around me. I'm going to make a ton of money. But, hell, I may go for the jugular, too, and try to get every penny. But what I was told yesterday is that Dak and the Cowboys, or CAA, Team Dak and the Cowboys, are still miles apart. That they're not close. And so if you have these two deals, you've got Wentz, you've got Goff, and the structure is there, it should be pretty easy. Why are they so far apart? What is their... To figure out here, why is this even complicated? So, Ben, if you look at what, uh, you know, Goff is a number one pick in a draft. And so Mm -hmm. we're talking about this in conjunction with the way we talk about Amari Cooper. So when we're talking about, well, Amari Cooper doesn't have the urgency because he's going to make $14 million this year. Goff has already made a lot more money on the field than Dak has. And he's got more guaranteed money right now on his rookie deal than Dak has when we get into all right let's walk up to Dak and let's hand him the Jared Goff contract then Dak would be looking at that contract going even though I'm guaranteed two million dollars here I'm going to pass on this 110 million guaranteed because I think I can get 120 guaranteed or I think I can get 130 guaranteed you know I don't know I, I think you know Ben's gotten good information on this about them being far apart, which would indicate to me that the Cowboys haven't presented a quote-unquote real deal, like maybe they're still sitting there at 25 or 27. But I have a a hard time believing. Not setting it down to CAA and going, hey, agent, how much do you want to get? But walking up to Dak and handing him a contract with $110 million guaranteed when all he really has guaranteed right now is $2 million yeah. I have a hard time believing Dak's going, you know what? Screw you guys. That's just simply not enough. That's right, yeah. And you just don't know what the offers were. And that's where it comes comes down to it. But I think, like, in a vacuum, you can say Goff or Wentz is better than Dak. I would take Goff over Dak. Wentz, maybe in a one-game scenario, I would probably Later. take Wentz. But you start going long-term, I would not at all touch Wentz. He makes me very nervous. But over three years, you just look at every number – Dak and CAA have every metric pretty much in their favor to go, hey, kind of better than these guys, so why don't you go ahead and give me a contract? But I, but I think what Ben said is so accurate. I think just in a vacuum, I think Wentz is the best of the three of them. But I he's think the one is. he's the one I'm least likely to sign because I think he's I think he's Carson Palmer. I think he's going to be a guy that's hurt once every two years. And I just but don't want to hitch my wagon to that. The thing that Dak does that they don't do, and Wentz has ran before, but he gets hurt a lot. Dak makes plays and scores with his feet. And that goes into addition to the touchdown passes. And you should line up the numbers straight up. Completion percentage, passing, passer rating, interception percentage, and then total touchdowns based on what Dak's able to do with his feet. 
the numbers are there for Dak and his his agency to go. Uh, yeah, I need to be paid higher than these guys. Like the numbers they're just, are there. They're just there. It's just evidence. What would happen if Dak would have gone to a team that just wasn't that good? That's you know, the most. And so if Dak had gone to the Titans or whomever mm-hmm. or just the Jets, mm-hmm. would we be talking about Dak being a $40 million quarterback or $35 million quarterback? I mean, it's a team sport, and he came to a team with an elite offensive line and an elite running back, and, and that helps. And that's not to take anything away from what he's done, and what he's done has been fantastic. But you got to try to figure it out. It's like, is he the reason for – I mean – See the, re- I mean, I, I watch him reason. play. I don't think he's the whole reason. I don't think anybody's the whole reason. I think it's a team. It's a, it's a collaborative. But when I watch Dak, I watch a guy who's playing in an offense where they have a governor on it, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get him to not turn the ball over, and that's the priority, and not take risks downfield, and not read defenses, and and it's pretty much you know they they hand the ball off a ton, and so I don't see a dynamic. Hey, let me carry the offense type guy, but. Let's see what he is in year four. Let's see what he is without Linehan. I'm willing to bet that he's going to keep getting better and keep taking those steps. But if you're telling me you got a Wentz deal, you got a golf deal, you got the framework for a contract, then it should be simple. Yeah, Everybody should should say he's right in that class. It should be simple. But I'm hearing from a very good source that they're still miles apart and they don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon. And So that only comes down to CAA. And if you think about it, it gets down to expectations that are set. When Dak starts interviewing agents, he sits down with all these different agents and CA says, hey, here's what we're going to do for you. We don't mess around. We get everybody maximum dollar. So when we go in there, we're going to beat up the Joneses. You're going to get this, 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 and this. And we're worried about what Mahomes is making. We don't care about Wentz. We don't care what Goff's going to get. We're we're about Mahomes and that next contract. And Dak's like, okay, great, you're hired. Well, now that an expectation has been set. They won the gig. They get to be his agent. Well, they've made huge promises. We're going to get this, 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 and this. That's why they're still far apart. Yeah, and to and to KT's point, so you go in there and you go, well, look at these numbers. Okay, well, that's based on three years when Carson Wentz. Remember three years ago in every segment we did about Philly was that Carson Wentz is throwing the ball one yard down the field? Yeah. So let's eliminate the first year and then look at the numbers, and they shift dramatically. And so, so, so you take out Goff's first year, right? He was zero and seven with right. Jeff Fisher, right? And so, and, mean, and keep in mind, I'm saying all this as someone that I want Dak to be the quarterback. I believe in Dak. I think they can win Super Bowl quarterbacks. I mean, win Super Bowls with him and all that. But there's still a, a level where you venture out and go, man, we're talking about these abstracts that don't even make sense. And so, if you look at his class and the guys that he's positioned right there with, there's two deals that are already done. And so if the other agency is out here saying, we want to exist way beyond that, how are the Cowboys supposed to deal with that? They can go, okay, make $2 million this they, year and we'll franchise you. They don't have to deal with it and they won't. No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of what ifs here. They're like, uh, Josh Rosen's a, a classic what if. Like Josh Rosen, I think he would be successful if he was put in a good situation. Mm-hmm. You just deal with the reality of what happened. Dak was put in a great situation. I think of Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers didn't sit by, behind Brett Favre for three years, Aaron Rodgers probably is not what he is today. If Sean Payton didn't find Romo, then Romo was probably a club pro somewhere. You know, like if all these what ifs didn't happen. The reality is the numbers are there for three years and the Cowboys have a choice. And my vibe is, or at least Ben's probably, uh, Ben's actually hearing things. I'm just gut feeling here. They're going to sit there and go, okay, you're going to play for nothing here. And then we're going to franchise you next year. And then you know what? If you don't want to do that, we'll franchise you again. And honestly, Pretty good guaranteed money for Dak, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But you're not 
like this to me, I see the the golf and Wentz deals being done, and where that golf deal came at below Russell Wilson as an opportunity. It's just whatever CAA thinks. The one thing I will throw out there, and I'm a fan of Steven and how he has been orchestrating the cap. I'm a big fan of this. Okay. You think Steven's the most uh, easy guy to get along with when it comes to these negotiations because the Zeke deal and the Tank deal did not have to be as difficult as they were. They were when, uh, both. Sports, you know, that happens. Very easy, easy deals. It was clear to see Tank, 20 million type of guy. We got the injury thing and there's leverage and we're fighting for a few millions of dollars. I think the one consistent component to all these deals is Steven being a hardline negotiator yeah. and kind of being difficult to deal with. I love it. That's what too. you need. It's not just an open bank. Come tank whatever you come take whatever you want. Somebody needs to be doing that. Somebody needs to be a hard ass over there saying, "Sorry, I got to keep in mind the whole big picture of what we have to and to take care of the whole pie." With Dak, I'll say this: what I wonder about and beyond the agency, because ultimately the agencies work for the players. It's not like the players just a, yeah. a victim here or a passenger in this thing. Dak may be saying, "Hey." I'm going to bet on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, Lenihan was holding this thing back. I, nobody's really seen what I can do. I want to throw the ball a ton. Look how, look how well he played against the Giants in that last game where he was allowed to throw the ball like crazy. With fewer weapons. He was like, thank you. Like, yeah. I was told he was really looking forward to that. He really wanted that. And then I was also told after the Rams loss that he was upset that they didn't trust him to let him try to throw him back into the game. And I think that has to do with him being pigeonholed by Lenihan. So now you're saying, okay, if he believes in himself that there's much more there, and I, I want I want athletes to feel that way. I want a shooting guard to feel like, yes, give me the rock. I don't care if I've missed shot. I, I want a cornerback to have maximum confidence. I want a cleanup hitter to be super confident. I want him to be borderline arrogant in believing in themselves. So that's the other component. He may be sitting here going, dude, Wentz, Goff, are you kidding me? That's great. I love what they're doing. I want to I want to do what Mahomes does. I'm not saying he thinks he's going to throw 50 touchdowns. That's not what this scheme is. But he may believe there's a hell of a lot more there that he hasn't been able to showcase yet, and he's ready to take that next step. And if that's the case and he wants to bet on himself, then good for him. Because if he goes out and is lights out this year, nobody's going to feel bad about paying him whatever. I think to your point too, Ben, don't you think CAA goes, hey, remember when the Joneses said they weren't going to set the market? They just set the running back market. Yeah. Just, just wait. I it, it, to me, it comes down to this though: Is Dak really willing to risk 108 million dollars when he's making two? If he's really willing to do that, then Maybe he's making 25 or 30 through endorsements. Then that's it. Well, that no, that's a good point. Maybe too. he doesn't care. That's a good point too. All right, so Ben and Skin <laughs> Show 105.3 The Fan coming up next. We'll get Fish's thoughts on how this Zeke thing went down, and also one of the most bizarre and weird deaths we've ever heard of in the history of sports. We'll do that next on 105.3 The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But joining us now on the BuyerSafety.com hotline. Oh, a phone is ringing. 105.3, the phone. I know when he is our Dallas Cowboys and Dallas Mavericks insider, the mighty Mike Fisher. Good afternoon, Fish. How are we? 
I don't think fan fans actually want Dean Blandito to perish. That's a little strong. I do. I actually think I've gone out there and I've done some, uh, just done some surveying out there, and I think Have you're. You, Dean there's Ben right there. Yeah. Still maybe, to this day. Maybe suffer. Can we just have him suffer? <laughs> yeah. I, and I think uh, I, I think he suffers just a little bit every time he comes on. But Yes, sir. He, he's a good man for doing that. Um, yeah. So uh, was there anything unique about the last, let's say, uh, you know, 18 hours about this deal? Because I think we thought that when he was landing, maybe a deal was done. And it seems like it went well into the night. What What's kind of your perception of how the final hours of this thing worked out well what a very astute question by you because last night at 10 o'clock and by the way ben rogers and 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 the ben rogers suggestion about where this is going and there where this was going was right and i'll tell you who else is super right and uh, someday the mainstream media is going to recognize it and going to build him a statue jonathan h shipman esquire is Whoa. super right uh, about about zeke's travels and about his intention with his travels. So stay tuned on that one. Uh, Jonathan H. Shipman Esquire will be vindicated someday. But last night, they did part ways. They didn't go to sleep without the deal being done. And, and a lot of things were obviously in place, but not done done. I still think that Zeke's side um, didn't like the 30% rule, which I'm sure you guys have touched on, and very simply skinny. That's just... You know, I, I, if I pay you $10 million this year, it's got to be 13 next year. And 16 it can't be $1 million one year and $100 million next year, 30% uh, in, in differences. And I think Zeke's uh, camp wrestled with that for a while. And then my understanding is they reconvened um, probably 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, something like that, and said, hey, what about this? And then away we went. But the most unique thing about it, I was told last night that, that Jerry wasn't here. And that maybe even Stephen wasn't here. And I'm like, how is that possible? And then we realized very early in the morning that Jerry's in New York City ringing the bell, ringing the opening bell on Wall Street because he's got a big oil and gas deal up there that's going to make him a trillion dollars. Uh, only the Joneses would have the owner and general manager up there ringing a bell on Wall Street while he's down here also writing a check for $103 million. Right. God, what what a crazy situation. <laughs> and then with regard to the next contract, where do you think they are on Dak? Yeah, I, I think that, that that Dak all along has has thought, and maybe this goes back a little bit, but that $30 million is that's that's the threshold of honor for the quarterback, $30 million a year. Now, did he ever ask for 40? I don't know. I wonder if he didn't ask for 36. And now look at the middle point of the 30 to 36, and look how it mirrors where Jared Goff's APY is, which is what, KT, about 33 and a half? Yes, so, that's, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think we're going to discover that, that they can get close and in the range, too. And uh, I, I wish, I think all parties would like to do that sooner rather than later. I think there's some security in going and taking your $100 million from, from Jerry Jones now. And so I wouldn't be surprised if right around the corner, um, we see a Dak deal or, uh, or a Byron Jones deal or a Malik Collins deal. And obviously, eventually, there's going to be a Mari Cooper deal here, too. And by the way, regarding Jerry's pie, they went into yesterday with $25 million with a room, signed Lyle Collins and gained $5 million with a room, entered today with $30 million worth of room. So the, the people running this cap, Stephen Jones's lieutenants, because, Ben, we talk a lot about, oh, Jerry does this and Stephen does this. But Stephen's lieutenants, 
do a hell of a job here in cap management, in uh, contract negotiations now, and then with Will McClay's uh, personnel people, make sure you get some $400,000 talent on this roster so you can afford the $30 million guys, and away you go to a contender. Well, I do, I, I do know for certain that, that Dak's team was seeking over 40 initially. I'm not saying they're there now, but that's what they came in asking for. And I'm, yeah, I, let's, let's, let's get in the middle. Uh, and, and listen, as, I, as we've discussed before, Benji, you could pay him uh, $40, and if this team goes 7-9, and nine, it's not, it, you'll have older, overpaid him. You, you'll have done a bad job as a Dallas Cowboy quarterback if you don't have a winning record, especially with this team assembled, same thing for a head coach. So I'm not too worried. Whatever the number is, I'm not worried about the overpay. Uh, if I'm a Cowboy fan, I want to see it manifest itself in 11 wins. Where does everybody turn their attention to now, Fish? Uh, I, I think the Jason Garrett story is, is a beauty, uh, is a focal point. If you're the ownership uh, and you've given Jason Garrett almost a decade and you've given Red Ball $5 million a year and now you've given him this running back and, and this assemblage of talent, what do you need out of Jason Garrett so he can stay along here? I think I think you need a superiorly successful season, whatever that is. You know, we we can all make up our minds that you've just got to win the division and win a playoff game and get to the NFC Championship game or something. But I hear a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, Jerry's so in love with Jason and he wants him to be his Tom Landry." Well, every owner wants their coach to be their Tom Landry, but I think I think the time is now for Jason Garrett to take this team to the next level because I think ownership thinks that they have assembled a Super Bowl caliber roster. No doubt. Awesome stuff, Fish. Thanks for jumping on with us. We'll be continuing to follow you on social media, and if anything breaks, holler in. Hello. All right, Tolo. There he goes, Mike Fisher. Uh, hey, uh, I want to – we'll get back into this uh, here in a little bit. And don't forget, Dean Blandino's about to join us. Mickey Spagnola's going to join us. Chris Woodward's going to join us. But I do want to get into a story that's it's a little bit of a sad story, but I, I want to use that as the impetus to have the discussion, and then I want to take off from there. Um, a minor league baseball player died uh, in an accident involving an electric skateboard, and this sucks. Um, he, he is uh, His name was Chase Numata. Uh, he goes by the nickname Numi, 27 years old. Uh, he was a catcher in the Tigers organization at the AA level and was a guy that just was beloved by teammates. Anybody who ran across him, you'll see the hashtag, hashtag for Numi all over the place on social media as people were remembering their friend. But when I saw this, I immediately sent it to my wife. I, I hit the story and I sent it to my wife because my 13-year-old son recently got a skateboard. Now, this happened while we were out of town. We were at camp at Oxnard. Mm-hmm. He pitched her the idea of owning a skateboard. Mm-hmm. And she acquiesced, and they ordered it, and it got in. And so I was just sitting there one day, and he's like, Dad, I got a new skateboard. And I was like, what? Uh, what? And I start talking to my wife. I'm like, what was what type of analysis did we do here on this? And she's like, what do you mean? It's a skateboard. Kids skate. And I was like, all right, I want to figure out if I'm just Mr. Overprotective Dad and Overworrier and Panicker, because in our relationship, me and my wife's, that's what it is. She's an underworrier. I'm an overworrier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just know that skateboards are can be incredibly dangerous. And But sure enough, there's kids all over the world who ride them and people do tricks on them, and, and no question, they make it look easy. 
And, you know, maybe this minor league baseball player's death was more about it being an electric skateboard that stopped unexpectedly on him and, and threw him. But to any degree, it's very possible to fall off of a skateboard. Now, if you land on concrete where you ride skateboards and, and you land on your head, which is the happen, which is what happened with this baseball player, you're in big trouble. And so you could have a brain injury. You could have all sorts of things. And I'm thinking, well, wait, we haven't let him play football because of concussions. Yet there he is out riding a skateboard around on asphalt without a helmet on. What are we doing? Okay, so it really comes down to what the kid is going to be doing on the skateboard. Because, for example, I think about this all the time when I watch my kids have friends over and they're in the pool. Like, pools are stupid dangerous. If the behavior is, you know, what's the classic, hey, no horseplay around the pool. Because even when kids are just half running, they're half running on wet concrete. And it'd be easy for the feet just slip out from underneath and they bang their head behind them. Or, you know, think about all that pool basketball we used to play where we were smashing each other's bodies into the side of a concrete yeah. pool. It's 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 less about that and more about how they're approaching the activity. For example, man, call up those skateboard videos. If your son is going to go skate on stairs and try to do wicked lands on poles and slide down a pole, then he's very likely to get injured. But, like, my daughter has what they call a longboard, which is almost impossible to do anything cool on. It's almost like she's just riding, like, floating on it, you know. It's just going to come down to what he does with that skateboard because, really, all these activities, all these things are dangerous depending on what degree they crank it up to. But if he's just, like, cruising down the sidewalk on a skateboard, it's probably not that less safe than cruising down the street on a bike or something like that. Well, I would say I disagree with you in that – it's way harder to predict what it's going to do, much like roller skates. You could have the best intentions. I'm just chilling. But if if you ask a kid, like I'm watching him stand up on it, even in the living room, and it's, you know, he's having a hard time keeping his balance and he loses it for a second, goes out from under him. And okay, well, if you happen to just fall off that at any point, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your intent is, and you land on the back of your head, you're done. Yeah. Um, and yes, kids running around the pool, it freaks me out. And I feel like every single time I'm needing to tell people to stop running out by the pool, but it's also goes back to all these scooters that everyone rides around town. Mm -hmm. It's all reason why the motorized bikes or what are those things called? Like uh, the birds? Yeah, the, yeah, the bird scooters. The birds? Yeah. yeah. It's like, man, so, and it's, a lot of times people get on those when they've been drinking. And people and, started trying to do, like, jumps and stuff. There's a yes. lot of stuff going around on a lot of the meme accounts where people go off these these stairs, and then they land, and they snap it in half, fall back, hit their head. And just to go to Skin's point, like a longboard, it's typically, you know, it's not seen as, like, dangerous, but I know friends back when I was growing up that they would take those things and go down a parking garage, like, as fast as they could. <laughs> And that's like a super dangerous way of using something that shouldn't be dangerous. It's it's really about their behavior. If you start doing dangerous things with no matter what it is you're doing something dangerous with, that's the behavior pattern. What I do know about your son, Max, is he seems to be the least likely of a kid that's like, all right, I'm going to go do something incredibly dangerous with this because he just doesn't seem to be wired that way. So there's a thing, too, happening, though, where people, kids are getting together and uh, like maybe they put together on a Facebook group, a little social media action, and they're having scooter meetups. So they all get their scooter and they go ride around town together. And there's like forty people or more. Oh my you god! Know? Um, I saw I got invited to one on Facebook, but I saw it the other night. I was walking uh, down by the American Airlines Center in that area, um, and that all, <laughs> it was all going down. I was like, 
There's there. It had to be fifty people. It had to be fifty people, and they looked like they were in their college college years, early twenties, maybe maybe upper high school, perhaps as well though. And they were just they were just going down the street, and the cops were trying to stop them, but there was fifty of them. Like you can't you can't stop them. Mm-hmm. They were all it's like a motorcycle gang on scooters. It was kind of strange, but they were just like having a good time. That was interesting. I would say, man, make sure he's wearing that helmet. You know, when he's on that bad boy, and it's uh, do some cool tricks, man. Yeah, this, I always wear a helmet. This was a, a twenty-seven-year-old professional athlete, incredibly athletic, just on an electric board, not doing any tricks. It, it was caught on surveillance video. He was just riding, and it stopped when he wasn't expecting it to stop, and he flew off and landed on his head. And even with all that athleticism, dead. Did you ever play Tony Hawk, the video game? Uh, yeah. Man, I think oh, Max would love that game. Though. Don't let him can, see that game. No, just let, let him play him. the game, and then he oh, won't get on the, the skateboard. Go virtual like, skating. I, I felt no need to ever get on a skateboard, because I was like, I'll just go fire up some Tony Hawk right yeah. now. I could do some badass tricks right there. I'm like, I'm never going to do this in real life. I'll grind on that rail real quick. I ain't got to go do this in real life. Yeah, you love grinding. On uh, a rail? Why are you grinding on the rail? So it was, it was one of the tricks get, that he did. To, to itch your crotch? I like the Madonna and the Benihana. He took a pole dancing class. All right, coming up next... The former VP of officiating for the NFL, Dean Blandino, joins us next. Then a little Mickey Spagnola, all coming up on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. We thought it'd be great to bring on the, the person we know best who is the highest up with regard to the world of officiating. That is formal, former VP of officiating of the NFL, Dean Blandino, who joins us now. How you doing, Dean? Good. I think it's the first time I've gotten an applause coming on with you guys. That's great. I yeah, you guys screwed by the refs. Yeah. Shippy, can you uh, address that? <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, that was Shippy. That was a that was. He yeah. did me. It was, a, it was a technical technical mistake. Yeah. That was canned applause, and it was uh, <laughs> Shippy's probably going to lose his job over it. They were it. pissed. All right, but we do uh, love you. Right. Over time, we've learned <laughs> to forgive you, and yeah. I think you've admitted that you made a mistake on the Des call, haven't you? Uh, I made a mistake because I ordered I ordered hamburgers instead of pizza that night after the game. That was the mistake I made. You compounded the mistake that you made on the Des call. Uh, let's move on to better things, shall we, Dean? Or maybe these are worse things. What is your fear of uh, how this uh, new pass interference challenge is going to be implemented and what it's going to do to the games? Yeah, well, I think I think there's definitely concern. Um, you look at I was never a fan of making a, a, a change like that for one play. And, and look, the bottom line is if the play doesn't happen last year um, in the, in the NFC championship game, we, we don't have this rule. So, so there's always going to be that concern. And now we're trying to fix a play that was obviously a mistake. And, and how many more plays are we going to start reviewing that aren't that, that obvious. And now we're going to start micromanaging pass interference, which is such a subjective call. Uh, I, I think if the league can, can, limit the number of stoppages inside two minutes where the replay official doesn't have a, a cap on the number of times they can stop the game. If they can do that, I think the coaches will be in the regular season will be um, very um, limited in their, in their challenges just because timeouts are so important and those challenges are really important. If we can keep it limited, then I think it'll be good. But if we start seeing four or five plays stopped in, you know, a game, that's going to be a problem because that just kills the flow. It kills the momentum. Momentum is real in football. It's important. And, uh, and I would hate to see that, that game, you know, the game's interrupted unnecessarily. All right. So do you think overall this is going to be good for the game or do you think this is going to be problematic? 
I, I don't know if this is going to be necessarily good for the game. It'll, it will avoid a mistake like the one that happened last year with this rule. But, but how many times does that happen? And are we just going to now have a debate about every time there's a flag thrown for pass interference, we're going to look at the coach now. Should he challenge? Um, now we'll go to a review. We're going to be baiting contact. And is the ball catchable? And is it enough? Um, so I, I don't know if this is good for the game. I, I do worry that now we make this play reviewable. Something happens, a hit on a quarterback next, you know, this season. It's not called. Why isn't that reviewable? And then we add to replay and uh, and we delay the game even further. And, and Dean, you may not even remember this because I don't know off the top of my head. We're talking about the the call that wasn't made in the New Orleans game. Wasn't that in the final two minutes of the game or no? Yeah, it was. It was late in inside the final two minutes of the game, so it wasn't. It was a situation where the replay official would have had to stop it had this play had this rule been in place. Um, and obviously, it's a it's a big play, and, and it's not it's not the reason the Saints lost the game. But if they get that call, they probably win the game. So it's uh, it's a significant play, and I think that's why, obviously, the league felt compelled to make this change. Okay, and then I guess that's one aspect of this next question is why didn't they just change that part of it and leave it in the hands of the replay booth in the final two minutes as opposed to create another thing that can be challenged? And then uh, the second aspect of this is how do you think that will go down from the league side when we are in the final two minutes and a play of that sort of ilk happens. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the league meeting, the coaches got together and they had their own session and what they, what they discussed and what they wanted is they wanted the league to implement kind of like a video official type deal where, where that, that person upstairs could, could fix any type of obvious error that was going to be, that was going to impact the game significantly. That's what the coaches wanted and then they have that meeting, and then and then the competition committee gets together, and they end up with this pass interference rule. So, so I think what the coaches wanted and what we have are, are not exactly the same. So, it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches deal with it. But inside two minutes, look, if that play happens again, um, then I would expect the replay official would stop the game and they would fix it because that's the whole reason why we have this rule. So. I would hope that, that that type of mistake would be fixed going forward. All right. Isn't the in the NFL like a fifteen billion dollar industry or what is it? Do you guys know? It's yeah, like fifteen it's, Yeah. It's I mean, with the money that just Jerry spent in the last week I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's there, huge. It's huge. And so but, but yeah. To yeah. me I've always wondered this. Why not more full time officials? Do do you know right now how many full time officials there are? There are zero right now. Okay. So actually, what what's happening right now is just like the players, the officials have a union and they're in negotiations right now with the union to extend their CBA. Like the players will have to expect, ex, extend their CBA in the next year or so, whatever that that occurs. Um, so they're discussing that as part of that extension. Um, do we do we should we have full time officials? What are they going to do? How many? Um, you know, I think it is a it is a misconception that officials, you know, don't do anything during the week. They do spend a ton of time on officiating, looking at film. But but the reality is they aren't full time. They're not like, you know, you know, someone that goes to work every day and uh, and 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 does it Monday through Friday. They're doing other jobs in many instances. So the more time you could spend, you know, on your profession, the better you're going to be. So I think 
I think the league has to figure that out and, and what that looks like because, uh, you know, it is, it is tough when a, when an official misses a call and then people say, well, you know, they're, they're not full-time. Look, being full-time isn't going to prevent all mistakes. Um, that's just the reality. But I think the league, you know, will we'll figure that out going forward. I realize that it's done by committee. By the way, we're talking to Dean Blandino here on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan, and there's a competition committee for rule changes and things like that. But if it did come down to just you, I want to take, I want to go back uh, three or four months before there's any rule changes. What would have been the most pressing thing, in your opinion, for this league to address to make it better from a rules standpoint? I think from a rules standpoint, I think if we if we're going to expand replay i would i would go into the player safety you know you look at the colleges they have the targeting rule that's review that's reviewable um if we're going to make something reviewable um let's look at player safety that that's always been when you look at rules changes you start with player safety then you look at you look at competitive equity and then you look at can the play be officiated or the rule be officiated consistently and, and i would i would start with player safety make hits on defenseless players um reviewable and, and go from there. I think the game is in a good place. I, I don't think there's any glaring um, in terms of rules and, and what's happening. I do just worry about expanding replay to, to some of these very subjective calls uh, that, that what that's going to do for the long-term health of the game. I think that's a concern. Dean, this is KT here. And uh, mm. as a guy who's got his pulse on the streets, you know, always yes. – always asking the people what they think. One question that I've seen a lot about these new rules is the Hail Mary situation. So if it's yeah. final two minutes, there's a booth review. And then in, historically, it's kind of felt like kind of a free-for-all. What happens in the Hail Mary? Are we just going to start booth reviewing the pushing and shoving of everyone at a Hail Mary? How do we handle this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I think the, the Hail Mary, there there isn't – there isn't a different standard on the Hail Mary. The Hail Mary is a different type of play. And look, any, any time there's two players in a jump ball situation and they're both playing the ball, then there's, there's a, an amount of contact that's allowable. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like two guys going for a rebound. And as long as somebody doesn't push or grab and throw somebody out of the way, you're going to allow them to kind of fight for that position. And that's not just a Hail Mary situation. That could be a jump ball. That could be, you know, a fade in the back of the end zone, whatever it is. So I think what the league has said, which I think is the right thing, is is they're going to officiate the play and replay the same way it's done on the field. And it's going to have to be, look, a push, a grab, and, and a throw down, something along those lines. But, again, the Hail Mary, it's not a different standard. It's just a different play. When both players have a right to the football and they're playing the ball, they can jockey for position. And I think that's what you see most often on a Hail Mary. But if somebody somebody shoves somebody in the back to, to make a play on the ball, that's going to be pass interference, whether it's a Hail Mary or just a regular, a regular pass play. When's the last time you talked to Roger Goodell? Uh, the last time I talked to Roger probably was – Last season, um, I haven't I haven't talked to him in a, in a little while. I mean, we text all the time. I mean, if you say text, can you okay? Can, do me a favor. Read the last five things he's texted you. 
we were actually we were actually talking about we're both big fans of, of HGTV and we're both big fans of House Hunters. So it was all involving that. It wasn't anything football related. I figured that'll be D picks. <laughs> Those were about to be illegal too. I, I yeah, believe. be careful, Dean. Be careful. No, <laughs> I mean, already I mean, September first. If anything, uh, I meant okay. Dean picks. Right. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Yes. That was just uh, a Texas rule, though. So. Oh, it is just Texas. Yeah, I think oh, nationally. Cool. I think you're far away. Are you following those rules and law changes closely, <laughs> Dean? Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta catch up on those. That, that hasn't been high on my list, but uh, I'll definitely get it. right after this. I'll, I'll get okay. caught up on them. I saw you tweet about this too. Um, Rambo: Last Blood, the movie that didn't yeah. need to be made. <laughs> what? Wait, what? <laughs> wait, what do you mean it didn't need to be made? I just, I just watched. Rambo, I think it was the second one where he's in Burma. <laughs> Go back and watch that movie. Okay. It has, every, if I'm talking about an action hero, Stallone has it figured out because he's, he's got the dialogue. He's got the action. I mean, he, he takes on the entire Burmese army and saves a ton of people pretty much with a bow and arrow. And <laughs> to me, I, I, I mean, to me, that is, so I am so excited for, for Rambo Last Blood. I just hope it puts a, a, a it puts a very fitting ending to the franchise. I'm excited. Do you watch it sans irony or do you watch it like as a comedy? Um I, I mean I probably it's a combination of both. I probably, you know, watch it as a comedy and then and then I find myself like why am I standing right now jumping up and down? <laughs> and that's that's awesome. uh, that's part of it. All right. Well Dean, thanks for the time. We always enjoy catching up with you. We'll talk to you next time, man. You got it. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey, not anymore. Dean, don't listen to that. That's old audio. Thanks. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Hey, good to catch up. Thanks, man. All right, guys. You can hang up now, Dean. (laughs) You can see Dean on Fox this weekend. So that'll be good. That was a good tease, Kevin. Well, I was also going to say, also (laughs) at Fox joining the pregame show this week for the Cowboys will be Aaron Andrews. Live from the field for the Cowboys pregame show here on The Fan. Oh. That'll get going around noon 30. Way to say yeah, that. What is All right, so Ben and Skin Show 105.3, The Fan, <laughs> Peen Plandine. <laughs> Peen Mandingo. Such a great character. <laughs> <laughs> Questionable Peen strength. All right, speaking of Peen, coming up next, we'll talk to Mickey Spagnola what? right here on The what? Fan. How that does that even mean? No, no that's it. <laughs> hey, I'd like to talk about GetMortgageReady.com. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.